You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, everybody. Emily Kwong here. Today, we are talking about how humans evolved some key behaviors, like sharing, with our brain guy, NPR science correspondent John Hamilton. Hi, John. Hey, Emily. Hi. Okay, John. Are you saying that evolution somehow made us nice? I'm saying evolution gave us a brain that is capable of being nice. Of course, our brains are also capable of being, you know, not so nice. Important distinction, yes. So where did this kinder, gentler side come from? I actually went to a place where scientists are trying to answer that very question. This was before COVID, I should say, when travel was a bit easier. I went with my colleague, Scott Hensley. The place we visited is an animal sanctuary in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Oh, this is beautiful. What are we listening to? That is a group of bonobos getting ready to have a meal. How would you describe bonobos within the world of primates? Well, they they look like chimps, and genetically they are nearly identical. But bonobos don't act like chimps. For example, they don't kill each other, they welcome strangers, and they like to share food. Those are some chatty bonobos. What is all this shrieking about? Right, that was my question too. So I asked Susie Quetwenda. She's a biologist in charge of bonobo well-being at Lola Yabonobo. That's the name of the sanctuary. So this is sound. is a way, it's a localization to see that food is coming. So they saw Patrick who is going to feed them. So it's just a signal to say, ready, food is coming. Is Susie saying the bonobos are sending out a dinner invite? Pretty much. And within a couple of minutes, all these bonobos started coming out of the forest. And then they all sat down together and ate peacefully. These bonobos, what role models for all of us? Well, Susie would definitely agree with you. She, she told me that years of watching bonobos has made her realize something about her own species. People can also do the same, to stay on the same table and sharing ideas and uh, try to listen each other and to be more um, patient, tolerant. Today on the show, how our ability to share, empathize, and cooperate shows up in bonobos too. These remarkable creatures John got to know very, very well. And why a species that embodies these traits is threatened by another species, us. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. So, John, tell me more about this sanctuary you visited in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Lola Yabonobo means bonobo paradise, and it is. It's in the forest, about 10 miles outside of Kinshasa. Lots of birds. It's got a river running through it, which is convenient because bonobos can't swim. The adult bonobos do live in fenced enclosures, but they have enough space so they can pretty much disappear into the forest when they want to. And how many bonobos live here? There are about 60 at Lola, several dozen more at a second location where bonobos who were raised here are being released into the wild. And that's a, you know, that's a big deal because there are only about 20,000 bonobos left in the world, and the DRC is the only place where they live outside captivity. And John, scientists are interested in bonobos because they are a close relative of ours, right? Yes, scientists consider chimps and bonobos our closest living relatives. But bonobos haven't been studied as much as chimps because they are so rare and they kind of flew under the radar. 
they were really only recognized as a separate species in 1929. Got it. So what new things are scientists learning about bonobos? Well, one thing they're learning is just how different they are from chimps when it comes to behavior. With chimps, you know, aggression is pretty common and physical strength is key. So the animal in charge is invariably a dominant male. Mm. Bonobos aren't like that. Here's something Dr. Jonas Mukamba told us. He's the lead veterinarian at the sanctuary. Bonobo, ce sont les, les, les femelles qui dominent. C'est la femelle qui est... Euh... What he's saying is that with bonobos, the females dominate, and that a female is always the head of the group. And we saw lots of examples of that. I mean, one day we were watching a caretaker toss pineapples to the bonobos in one group. It was very organized. Each bonobo seemed to be waiting their turn. Adults were sharing their food with babies. So I asked Susie Quetwenda to explain the dynamic, and she started looking around for this one particular female. Sam Sam! Semen! Yeah, so she's coming. This is Semendoa. Big mom. Tough mom. And as you can see, she's in the front. She has to show that she's uh, very concerned by all organization in the group. So the big mama is in charge and all the males follow. The males are bigger than the females, but if a male gets too aggressive, all of the females will go after him and bite him, and they might even chase him into the forest for a day or two. John, this is more than bonobo paradise. This is paradise paradise. When I die, I want to come back as a bonobo. Yeah, it's very different. And the female's goal uh, is to maintain harmony in in the whole group. So like at feeding time, they make sure that everyone shares. And Susie told me they they have another tactic. And as you see, there is many, 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 many action of sex. (laughs) Many negotiation. So that make peace. Uh. So the rumors are true. Bonobos really do have a lot of sex. A lot, a lot, uh, especially at meals. Okay. And how do scientists go about studying bonobos? How do they even know about these traits of theirs? Bonobos in the wild are almost impossible to study. So scientists have spent a lot of time at Lola. You know, a few years ago, a researcher from Duke University named Brian Hare did an experiment there that really surprised a lot of people. Uh, Susie told me about it. So I want to show you. So this is normally the lab. As you see, has it's very large and we have many rooms. We have a the scientists would put two bonobos in adjacent rooms. Then they would give one of the bonobos some really special food. It must be the favorite food like apples they love, bananas. And most of times we were like, we were normally trying to put bonobo sauce. I remember it was the milk, cream milk. This all sounds so delicious. It does. But the question is, would you eat your special meal alone or would you share it with your neighbor? Oh, it depends on the day. Depends on the neighbor. Right? Right? (laughs) As humans, we could go either way. And the scientists really weren't sure what a bonobo would do. In our mind, we thought that because of nice food, they will first eat. But we are surprised to see that a roommate is more important than food, than favor food. The roommate was more important than the food. Interesting. The the bonobo with the plate would invite their neighbor in and they would eat together. Uh, Sometimes there was sex, too. But then the scientists did the experiment again with three bonobos including one who was a stranger. And most of the time, the bonobo with the food would share with the stranger first, then the friend. Wow. 
So when humans are nice, are we tapping into our bonobo side? Maybe. We know that humans can be clever and aggressive, and those are behaviors you definitely see in chips. But we also can be remarkably tolerant and empathetic, and those are behaviors you are much more likely to see in bonobos. Ah, okay. Because going back to chimps for a second, I can see why cleverness and aggressiveness would be advantageous, passed on through natural selection, survival of the fittest. But sharing? What difference does that make to the survival of a species? Well, remember Brian Hare, who did the sharing experiment? Yeah. He and his partner, Vanessa Woods, wrote a book called Survival of the Friendliest. And it makes the argument that what they call prosocial traits are what gave Homo sapiens an advantage over other early humans. You know, the idea is that being the smartest or strongest only gets you so far. It's cooperation that has allowed us to farm and form governments and send people into space. And cooperation requires a brain that is able to empathize and trust and communicate shared goals. I mean, it kind of sounds like there's a lot to learn about how we're stronger together. But John, I'm also thinking about how being nice hasn't worked out so well for the bonobos themselves. I mean, this is an endangered species after all. Yeah, they've, they've been the victims of human behavior that's not so nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, humans have encroached on their habitat. Also, bonobos in the wild have been hunted for meat, and poachers have killed adult bonobos so they could sell their babies as exotic pets. But bonobos' friendly side has won them a lot of human friends. I am Claudine André, and I am the founder of Lola Ya Bonobo, the paradise of bonobo. Claudine grew up in the Congo. Her father was a veterinarian, and she has spent more than 20 years trying to make sure that bonobos have a future. She's also what you might call the alpha female at Lola. I love men a lot. (laughs) I'm a bonobo, you know. (laughs) But, um, you know, in the sanctuary is more women than male. I should mention that this sanctuary is partly an orphanage. Most of the bonobos were brought here when they were very young. Many of them actually saw their mother killed. And bonobos are, are like human children. They, they need many years of parenting. You know, they have tantrums. Oh, poor baby bonobo. It sounds like a human. So each baby bonobo gets a human mother, someone who carries them around and plays with them and teaches them until they're ready to join the adults. It's kind of like visiting a bonobo daycare. I was interviewing one of the surrogate moms, Mama Yvonne, one day, when a baby named Asake decided she really wanted the microphone. Got to watch your gear, John. It's okay. So this is to be dad. Yeah, so he said that she was What stands out when you visit Lola is just how socially aware bonobos are. Uh, Claudine yeah. Andre told me that that is what first got her attention. I crossed eyes of one bonobo one day in 91 in the zoological garden of Kinshasa. And I think I fall in love with this species. Claudine told me that for her, it was all about the eyes. If you look to a chimpanzees, every three seconds, it turns his eyes. A bonobo, he wants to know, who are you? What is the, the connection we can have? I mean, these creatures are so remarkably intelligent and clearly important 
can this one sanctuary in the DRC really save an entire species? Sadly, no. I mean, fortunately, the government has made it illegal to kill or own a bonobo in the DRC. But the entire nation will have to embrace this idea that bonobos are a national treasure. So Lola has its own educator on staff, and they've brought thousands of school children to the sanctuary. Ladin told me they get calls from some of these kids years later, and they're calling to report a bonobo who needs rescuing. Wow, the folks at Lola are really thinking about how to pass on this work to the next generation. John, thank you for sharing this reporting and your stories from this trip. It has been such a journey. Always fun to talk, Emily. This episode was produced by Britt Hansen, edited by Giselle Grayson, and fact-checked by Rasha Aridi. I'm Emily Kwong. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. <laughs> what is your name? John. Alors on va dire bonjour monsieur John. If you're never quite sure how to answer the question, where are you from? NPR's Rough Translation might be the podcast for you. Yes, finally, someone else. Give us your accents and your origin stories, your cross-cultural misfits yearning to just be, and listen to Rough Translation on NPR.